Now, I also want to tell you about Saturday. If you haven't signed up yet, we are having right here uh, uh, the Stronger Marriages Workshop. The Stronger Marriages Workshop is uh, uh, going to be here on Saturday from 8.30 to around 3 in the afternoon. Um, You need to be here. If you haven't made plans to be here, I cannot encourage you enough to be here. Um, There are... Lots of reasons that that I could give you, but I don't think there are any of us who don't want a better marriage, who don't want a better relationship. And so this is an opportunity for us to to come together and do that. I hope you will do that. You can register through our website, but listen, don't let that stop you. Um, Invite your friends, invite your coworkers, invite anybody, um, and, and they can just show up that day, even if they haven't registered. That's fine. Um, we're taking care of the cost. We're taking care of, of child care. Um, right now we've got around 30 kids signed up already um, that are going to be in that child care. We're, we're going to take care of that. And so there's no reason why you shouldn't be here. So having said all that, that's, that's our week coming up. Um, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, as we're moving through our series we're calling stronger we're talking about stronger families stronger marriages stronger relationships and and how we build those we started out talking about a stronger faith Um, we moved into uh, a stronger covenant of marriage Um, this week we're going to talk about stronger relationships that that covers all of relationships in our life in first samuel when you when you get over there you see uh that it's First Samuel, you know, is primarily the story of David, um, and and you're not introduced to David really until chapter 16, but but it's it's about David and and his journey. First and Second Samuel really are, um, and most people know two stories about David. Uh, they know David and Goliath, and they know David and Bathsheba, and and the rest of it kind of yeah maybe I've heard of that somewhat. Uh, in there somewhere. If you if you read through 1 Samuel, in chapter 16, we're introduced to David. In chapter 17, he kills Goliath, and we all know that story. And after David kills Goliath, he becomes something of a national hero. Um, he becomes something of a celebrity, and the people are, are thrilled with him. They're enamored with him. He is the, the, the flavor of the week, if you will, you know, and, and, and they're singing his praises and they're, they're lifting him up and they're singing songs about him and they're, they're, uh, he, is, he is a national hero. And his life begins to dramatically change. First, he's drafted. He's not allowed to go home. Um, we see in, in chapter 18, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see Saul draft him into service, not military service at that time, but uh, in chapter 18, verse 2, Saul takes him and doesn't let him return to his father's house. Now, remember, this is the simple shepherd boy. This is the, the singer of songs. He spent every day out with the sheep, outside, in nature, singing songs, hanging out. Now he's cooped up in a palace, and he's playing his, his harp and singing in order to calm the king. And, and Saul becomes over and over insanely jealous 
of David. Saul begins to look at David with, uh, with, with paranoia. As David's celebrity grows, Saul's begins to diminish. And that, that, that paranoia sets in on Saul in, or, in the way that, that he perceives David as a threat. And so he does what he can to eradicate that threat. In, still in chapter 18, um, verse 10 through 11, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David eva- evaded him twice. And you thought your boss was bad. E- every day he's in there playing his lyre and singing to calm this craziness that is in his, his king. Twice. Saul attempts to kill David with his own hand, and twice he fails. But that paranoia, that insanity, only keeps intensifying. He begins to construct more elaborate plans to to rid himself of David. He sends David on on crazy missions. He he tries to marry him off to his daughter. He he does everything he can, and and, and all these... uh, the, the, he tells him he can marry his daughter, but in, all, in order to marry his daughter, he's got to bring him a hundred dead Philistines. I know that's not what it says, but we got children in here. He says, go uh, bring me a hundred dead Philistines. And so David brings two hundred dead Philistines. It, it goes a little bit further. David is, is excelling at everything he does because the Spirit of God is with him and it's not with Saul. Um, in verse 5, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. He makes him the, the general, the head of the military. Not because he's, he's really excited about David's military prowess, but because he thinks if he puts him out there on the front lines, sooner or later, somebody's going to take care of him for him. And, and you start to read this and you go, what about David? What did David do? How did David combat this? And it's interesting because he doesn't. See, David has an understanding of authority and submission that we really don't understand even today. David sees Saul as God's anointed. Regardless of his mental state, regardless of whether he is godly or not, David sees Saul as God's anointed and refuses to raise his hand against him. We've lost that. You want to know why we have churches on every street corner? Because we have people who will raise their hand against God's anointed. We've lost this idea that God puts people in leadership for a reason. And whether I agree with that person or not is inconsequential. Because submission and authority have to do with God and not this individual. Sorry, I stopped, started preaching. Today, we, 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 we miss that. Um, the bottom line is, God knows what He's doing, even if I don't. And, and a lot of times, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what God's doing. Um, but So even, anyway, I'm, 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 let me get back on track. <laughs> In in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Saul was losing his mind because the Spirit of the Lord had left him. Saul was insane, paranoid, egotistical, uh, a, a maniac who the Spirit of God had departed from, but he was still God's anointed, and David still would not stand against him. So, How did David cope with this, though? 
Serving a king who is continually losing his mind, serving a king who is obviously not godly and not about the best interest of God or his people, how does David deal with this? Well, God gives David uh, something to help him deal with this situation. He, He gives him a help. Uh, in this in this time of peril and and it's interesting because you and I will face perils today not like this I hope your boss is not throwing spears at you but we will face troubling times we will face stress and and times when we're struggling to figure out why is God doing this to me I mean David is anointed and here we are a, a couple of years later and and he he's trying to be killed by the king that doesn't look like God's plan if you're in the middle of it now we know the ending of the story but David as he's living it doesn't know what's going on he doesn't know what God's doing here but God doesn't give him a miracle God doesn't give him a revelation God doesn't give him a prophecy God gives him a friend now that's important because I think we miss that our society today we, we have hundreds of friends on our social media, but we don't have anybody really in our life like a Jonathan. The, the, well, verse, chapter 18, verse 1, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. See, God doesn't just give him a friend. God gives him an intimate friend. Now, Bear with me here because I, I, I kind of think there's, there's a few levels of friendship. You know, you have that basic level uh, we would call acquaintance or, or you would call your, your what's up friend. You know, you're walking down the street, you see them, you're like, hey, what's up? You, you may not even know their name, you know, but maybe you sort of know them. Maybe you know them from some shared uh, experience or something. You don't really talk a great deal to this person, um, but you know them enough to say, what's up? Right? And, and so, and it's funny because as you age, the head nod changes. Young people say, what's up? Us older folks, we go, how you doing? I don't know why that is. I don't know where the cutoff is, but anyway, we'll figure that out some other time. Um, that's your what's up friend. But the next level you have is kind of a, a casual friend. And what I mean by that is these are people that, that you may share an experience with. Uh, You may work together. You may be a part of the same club. You may share a hobby. There may be something that you have to talk about. You know, when we're doing marriage counseling and these marriage things, you you have wives say, oh, I wish he would talk to me. And, And I go, well, he doesn't talk to anybody. And, and she's, well, yeah, he talks to his friend. No, they talk about sports. They talk about the weather. They talk about hunting. They don't really talk. That's guys. We have a lot of these casual friends that we don't really let inside. And, and we can talk for hours about the NFL playoffs and still not say a word to each other about our lives. Now, that casual level of friendship, we have a lot of those. But then there is another level above that that's, that's kind of a close friend. Still not, not an intimate friend, but these are people who know a little bit more about you. Maybe you've let in a little bit more. And, and yeah, you can talk about your shared interest, but you also can talk a little bit about one another's lives. But that top level, 
That top level of friend is, is what I'm calling an intimate friend. And, and what I mean by that is, this is somebody who knows everything there is to know. They know all your dirty laundry. They know all the, the weird fears and anxieties that you have. They know all the thoughts that you're afraid to tell anybody else because you're afraid they'll think you're nuts. All those things that we keep inside. Now, if you're lucky, you may have one or two of these friends in your life. And hopefully, you married one. Now, that doesn't always the case, but we can still work towards that end. But, but this intimate friend, that's what Saul, uh, Jonathan and David are. They are intimate friends. And I want to look at a few things, a few qualities here, because I think this doesn't just apply to friendships. This applies to all of our relationships. This applies not just to our friendships, not just to our dating relationships or our marriages. It applies to our, our, our families. It applies to our working engagements. It applies to all the relationships in our lives. There are things we take away from this that can make us better friends better people. First of all, uh, an intimate friend will sacrifice for you. An intimate friend will sacrifice for you. Look at chapter 18, verse 3 and 4. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, get this, because we just hear he gives him his coat, right? This is much more than that. Jonathan is the crown prince of Israel. If there's anybody who should be threatened by David, it's Jonathan. Because if David comes along, he's not going to just usurp Saul. He's going to take Jonathan's position. He's going to take Jonathan's birthright. He's going to take Jonathan's place. Because Jonathan, by law, should be the next king. When Jonathan gives David his robe, He's not just giving him a coat. He's putting his covering on him. He is accepting him into his family, into his relationship. He is also placing on him his blessing. He's saying that this guy is chosen by God, even if I'm not. It's a big deal what happens right here. Now, remember... The, the Philistines control the iron at this time. One of the reasons the Philistines are so unstoppable is because they have these iron chariots, right? And they have these iron weapons, and they have all this, all, all this weaponry. They have the technological advances. Now, they can't get their iron chariots over the mountains, and that's why there's kind of this standoff between them and the, and, the, and the Israelites. But there's only two iron swords in Israel at this time. One belongs to Saul. One belongs to Jonathan. When Jonathan gives David his sword, it's a big deal. He's giving him his kingship. He's giving him his birthright. He's sacrificing himself for his friend. That's a big deal. Because for us to understand that, do we have a friend in our life that would sacrifice for us? Am I the kind of friend in someone else's life? that would sacrifice for them. An intimate friend is going to sacrifice for you. The second thing I want us to look at is intimate friends are loyal to you. 
First Samuel 19, um, we see Jonathan standing before his father, the king. His father, who is, is losing his mind, who is out to kill David, and, and he's defending David. First uh, Samuel 19, verse 4 and 5. Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he's not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Now again, this is the crown prince of Israel, the heir apparent. And he's standing before his father, who is certifiably nuts. You think if your father is, is willing to try to kill the guy who just plays the harp in his room, what's he going to do to you when you stand up to that? You with me? So this is a big deal. Jonathan is not just saying, well, Dad, you don't understand, my friends. This is, jo- this is Jonathan standing up and saying, you're wrong, Dad. This is not your place. This is not what you should be doing. And, and for him to stand up and say, you're stepping outside of the will of God. You're shedding innocent blood without cause. The third thing is intimate friends give you the freedom to be yourself. That's important. Because a lot of times you'll have friends that try to change you and remake you in their image. Or in the image they think you should be. This is not just friendships. This is in marriages. This is in dating relationships. This is, you know, uh, you talk to kids who are getting married, and we do a lot of uh, premarital counseling because we, we have a lot of young people, who you know, colleges age, who are getting married. And, and you know, you'll talk to them, and they, there are all these myths they believe about marriage, you know. There's all these marriage myths. First of all, one of them is that, that whatever it is, that, that about him or her that annoys me, I'm going to change that. No, you're not. I, I'm just going to tell you right now, it, it, this, this, whatever it is that annoys you right now is only going to get worse when you live with it all the time. Right? They're laughing because they know it's true. But that, that, that's not the point. The point is that an intimate friend loves you in spite of who you are. That an intimate friend gives you the freedom to be yourself. And that means if you need to weep, they're going to weep with you. When you rejoice, they're going to rejoice with you. When you celebrate, they're going to celebrate with you. When you're down and, and, and at the bottom, they're going to be the ones right there to try to pick you up. That's a real friend. A real friend is not going to say, you need to be more like this or you need to be more like that. They're going to love you for who you are. That's what we see Jonathan doing with David in 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. They were about to be separated. They were about to go their separate ways, and it was breaking their hearts. And these are two of the most macho guys in Israel, right? I mean, Jonathan climbs up a hill, just him and another guy takes on a whole Philistine regiment. This is not a a girly man here. And you'll hear people nowadays try to make this into something it's not. And you know what I'm talking about. And that's not the case here. This is two intimate friends who are brokenhearted that they're being separated. But 
they're secure enough in their friendship and in who they are to be able to show that to each other. Remember I said all we talk about as guys is the sports and the weather? Guys don't do this. We only do this with people that we are totally, completely, not just free to be with, but that we completely trust that love us the same way. And finally, intimate friends encourage and build you up. And not just talking about being your cheerleader, although that's part of it, but intimate friends point you towards God. Intimate friends point you towards a strength beyond yourself. In, in 1 Samuel 23, while David is at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. David is hiding in the wilderness. He's in a cave. And he's hiding from Saul. Saul has this his party that's going out hunting for David. There is a hitman trying to kill David. And the hitman's son shows up. Uh, verse 16. Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. See, that's what a real friend does. A real friend doesn't just go out there and, and, and hide with you in the cave. A real friend doesn't just go out there and say, man, I'm sorry, my dad's nuts. A real friend is out there helping you seek God. That's what a real friend does. That's what an intimate, true friend is going to do for you. Now, I hope that this morning there's a name or a face in your mind, right? That there's somebody in your mind that... that you know that fits that bill. I have, I have some in my mind. There, there are a couple of guys in my life that I could take out my phone right now and call and say, I need you, and they would come. I, I don't know what they'd be doing, but they would drop it and come because that's the kind of love they have for me. Now, those friendships are valuable, and I hope you have something like that in your mind. If you don't, you maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're going... You know, I feel like, David, I'm, I'm in this awful position in my life. I'm struggling with this thing, and I can't think of one single person that fits that bill. Let me tell you the most wonderful news I can tell you this morning. You have that friend. You have that friend. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I have called you friends. That's huge. That, that this Jesus sacrificed himself for you. He didn't just give his life. He gave up being the, the crown prince of eternity, uh, of, of being with God, of being God, to come down and sacrifice for you. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. He is loyal and, and like Jonathan before Saul, Jesus is interceding right now on your behalf. Those nights when you're sitting there and you go, I need to pray to God, but I don't know what to say. Jesus knows what to say. And he's saying it for you right there on the other side. He says, I've called you friends for all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. I'm sharing with you everything that I have. And He offers you freedom. He offers you freedom to come as you are. 
He says, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. He offers you freedom, and he says, I love you where you're at. Last week, uh, you know, I, I talked about covenant, and some people heard some things that I didn't say. I had some conversations this week, people saying, well, I heard that, that you were saying that anybody who's divorced is damned to hell. I didn't say that. Because I would not say that, because not only is that unscriptural, it's almost blasphemous. Because, hear me, there is nothing that you have ever done or ever will do that is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. And Jesus says, I chose you right where you're at. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you will do, Paul says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Not when you got it all cleaned up. Not when you put on your Sunday best and came to church. Not when you got your life right. Jesus says, I loved you while you were awful. And I still love you no matter what. Romans 8 doesn't say that nothing except divorce can separate us from the love of Jesus. Romans 8 doesn't say that nothing except insert sin here. He says nothing, period. And then he goes on to name a whole bunch of really powerful stuff. Can separate us from the love of Jesus. That's the friend that you have. The Logos, the Word of God, the Word made flesh, is calling you his friend. There's no greater news that I got for you. The God of creation, the Word made flesh and now glorified, says you're His friend. That's the gospel, folks. That's good news. You can be an intimate friend with God. You can be that person. God can be that person for you. That's what we're together for. That's what we're offering. Not be holy like Jeff, because that ain't hard. Not be all together like all these people in this room, because I don't want to break the bubble for y'all, but we ain't, none of us got it all together. It's, I can be friends with God. God is going to be on my side and love me in spite of me. That's the gospel. That's what you're called to. Come to that. Come proclaim Him, confess Him, repent. All repent means is that I'm going to try to go a different direction. That's that's a big churchy word. That's what it means. I'm going to try to go a different direction. You're going to come, you're going to confess, I believe Jesus is Lord. I want Jesus to be in control of my life, not me anymore. I'm going to go a different direction. That direction is going to be following Him, not following me. And And to exemplify that, I'm going to die to myself and be born again. I do that through baptism. I'm I'm immersed in water. I'm raised a new creature. And the Bible says the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is going to come to live in you and give life to your mortal body. You can be friends with God. That's what it's all about. Accept that invitation right now while together we stand and sing. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord, no tender voice like
seated. I have a uh, prayer concern that I was made aware of and uh, asked to share with y'all. Many of you uh, remember or know Mark and Joanne Holly, former members here, uh, still live here in town. Uh, Joanne works at the university and Mark works at Jack Olsta with several of our guys here. Uh, But beyond that, Mark and Joanne are to Karen and I the kind of intimate friends that